You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Just in time for their biggest game of the regular season to date, the Rockets finally have their full house. With that way too obvious pun, welcome back to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your home for daily podcast commentary on all things Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. The Rockets are about 24 hours away from tipping off Wednesday night against the Golden State Warriors, the two-time defending champions, and of course the gold standard for the Rockets and anyone else in the NBA who has dreams of winning a title themselves. Can the Rockets take all four games in the regular season somehow from the two-time defending champs? Can they get within two and a half games of the one seed, which even a couple of weeks ago seemed unthinkable in the Western Conference and still make a run at home court throughout the Western Conference playoffs? We'll be talking about that matchup, what it means for both teams, keys to the game as we move our way through Tuesday night's show. But here off the top, to get back to that pun, yeah, let's explore the full house first. Because for more than one game, really the rest of this season, the Rockets do have their house back. That being Daniel House Jr., who played several games for the Rockets earlier this season. In total, 25 beginning in late November, including 12 starts all the way up until mid-January. He averaged 9 points per game in 25 minutes, shot 39% from 3, but was really known at 6'7", 220 pounds, just 25 years old, a very explosive player. Yes, he could hit the threes, a 39% clip, which is something the Rockets need from any wing player in their system, but he was also versatile enough to put the ball on the floor, attack the rim, get out in transition, and physical enough at 220 pounds, six foot seven, physical, versatile to guard a wide variety of players on other teams. He was the starting small forward when he left in January. Effectively, the Rockets ran out of service days on his existing two-way contract, and he's been at the G League level with the Rio Grande Valley Vipers ever since. As far as what was going on, we've reported it plenty of times on this show. Effectively, the Rockets were trying to get him to accept a two- or three-year deal because if it's on a one-year deal, which is what ultimately is happening, they're converting his contract to a standard one-year, which is what House asked for for the remainder of this season, he will effectively become a free agent this summer. He will be restricted, but since the Rockets don't have bird rights, they won't really have any additional means to retain him. They can't truly match any outside offer to keep him at above the minimum or 120% of his prior salary at any offers above that, they would have to use their mid-level exception, which could cut into their ability to retain Austin Rivers and or Kenneth Freed. And beyond that, if House gets any offers larger than the mid-level exception, there's absolutely nothing the Rockets can do to match because they're a well-above-the-cap team. So the Rockets were angling to get him to accept a two- or three-year deal, by the end of which they would have at least early bird rights and a clearer picture and method to retain him long-term. House, however, wants to get paid this summer. He's played well. He deserves a larger contract. It's not that he wants to leave Houston. It's just under the current system, this is where he probably has the greatest advantage to get paid sooner rather than later. And he's trying to do the same thing that most of us are doing in terms of getting the most money he can for his family. His agent said today that his focus 
he and House towards the summer is 110% on staying in Houston. It's just financially that may be very difficult. And even if it is, if he outplays Kenneth Fareed and Austin Rivers to where House is the clear priority for the mid-level exception, maybe he does stay, but then ultimately it costs you Fareed and or Rivers. We have a lot of time ahead of us to figure that out. The good news for today is celebrating the fact that a guy who was a starter when the Rockets were close to at their best, even with Chris Paul out, you think of that streak six in a row, which until the current nine-game streak that has them at 42-25, and 25, the six-game streak culminated with the Golden State win, the Harden Dagger three in overtime in early January. That was with Daniel House as your starting three during that stretch. So he was a huge part of the team's success on both ends of the court. Offensively, explosive, can hit threes. Defensively, a lot of energy, athletic, smart, can guard a wide variety of positions, fits seamlessly into their switching scheme, and now he's back. Effectively, the Rockets gave in to what House and his agent wanted, and from the Rockets' standpoint, it's pretty easy to see why. Yeah, in a perfect world, they would like to have him beyond this season and or keep at least one of Austin Rivers and Kenneth Fareed on top of House, even if you do use your MLE to retain him, but... For a Rockets team that's all about the here and now with Chris Paul at 33 years old, James Harden in the midst of what should be another MVP season, Harden 29, CP 33, and in year 14, you can't worry about the years to come and wondering if maybe House will eventually give in because keeping him at the G League level under his two-way contract has always been a leverage play. At some point, the here and now becomes too valuable, and now that we're at March 12th, basically a month before the NBA playoffs start, then to me, it seems to be the right time to bring him back up because ultimately for the Houston Rockets, the way they are constructed, it is about the here and now. And that's what this says. Even if they lose House after the season because of this move or if they instead retain House but then lose Austin Rivers or Kenneth Freed because of it, the reality is with a team playing this well, you have a window to go out and win a ring now. That's what bringing Daniel House Jr. back says and I firmly support the Rockets in that decision. It makes sense. And by doing it now, you stay underneath the luxury tax. It's a minimum deal, which they could have always unilaterally converted him to. Again, it was never about the money, which you should know if you've listened to Lockdown Rockets for the past couple of months. It was just about the leverage. It was about the decision-making process. And ultimately, Daryl Morey, Rockets GM, made the decision that with Chris Paul, James Harden, and the team playing the way it is right now, that here and now trumps all the long-term concerns. So they'll worry about the offseason when it gets here in June or July and try and figure out how to keep this team together. Right now, they're trying to give themselves the best chance to win a ring. Obviously, beating the Warriors tomorrow night would help. But beyond that, I think really this last month, keep in mind House has not played in the last couple of months with the Rockets. It's just going to be about getting him back into the flow, back into the rotation, so that hopefully a month from now, It'll be similar to when, say, late December, early January, House first joined the Rockets in late November, and then really it was a few weeks after that that he truly hit his stride. It's not like you can expect to bring him in off the G League and then all of a sudden thrust him into the same role he was in playing 25-30 minutes per game before he departed. So long term, I'm excited about this. Short term, I'm not sure how much it truly changes. Maybe he sneaks a few minutes from Iman Shumpert, but I don't think that all of a sudden you're going to have him playing the same minutes he was before, and I certainly don't think he's going to go immediately back to his role as the starting small forward, considering Eric Gordon is there now, and he's shooting over 50% from three this month. Eric Gordon is going to stay in his current role as long as he's playing like this. That's not to say the House can't eventually work his way back into the starting lineup, but for now, any minutes he gets, and he might not get any at the start, we'll have to see how 
Mike D'Antoni plays it. Shumpert did make at least a couple of threes in Monday's win over the Hornets. I don't think that it's going to be anything from day one of House returning that's going to be radically different. But long term, that's where it has the most impact because it just gives you more options, more depth. With Shumpert, there are so many questions. With his health, with the fact that, well, he shot threes well in Sacramento, but to this point in Houston, he is not. He also doesn't seem to have the athleticism to truly attack the rim off the dribble when he pump fakes from three. One of the things with Hallis, when you close out on him from three, he can take it to the rack. With Shumpert, he'll pump fake the three, and then as we've seen too often the last couple of games now that he's been back, he'll dribble into a mid-range shot, 18, 20 feet, because I don't think that he feels that he's explosive enough to take it all the way to the cup. And of course, those long mid-range shots are not good for the Rockets' offense. So between Shumpert's shot, his injuries, there's just a lot of ifs about him that aren't really there with Daniel House. Now, if Shumpert figures it out and House gets back, who will play then? I think that's a problem that Mike D'Antoni would love to have. That's one of those good problems. As far as Daryl Morey is concerned, it's just trying to give Mike D'Antoni and the coaching staff as many tools as possible, as many outs. So in the short term, he'll pick up spot minutes. I don't think you'll immediately see him go and play 20-plus minutes per game after not playing with the team for a couple of months. It's not like he's a fish out of water, because of course he has continuity with a lot of these guys. But at the same time, playing two months at the G League level, not having any reps with the Rockets... It's not like you're going to come back and immediately be the same guy. There is going to be a buildup. So I don't know that it materially changes your outlook for, say, tomorrow against the Warriors, which is a big game. But long term, yeah, it gives you a lot more options. And for a Rockets team that's needed more defense all season long, they finally found it since the All-Star break, going from 25th in net rating before it to top 10 since. Well, Daniel House gives you another wing option, more athleticism, more explosion. He can hit threes as well. And really, as I see it, he just gives you a very important hedge on Iman Shumpert. If Shumpert doesn't work out and there haven't been a lot of positives to this point, well, now it's less important because you have the guy who back in December and January was doing so many of these things for you, even while the Rockets were nowhere near hold. They didn't have Fareed at that point. They were just working in Austin Rivers. Chris Paul was hurt. Eric Gordon got hurt. Well, now you add that version of Daniel House, the guy who helped keep the Rockets afloat during that stretch, to these other guys who are now healthy in the Rockets' rotation deeper than it's been all season long. Yeah, it's a move that even if you lose him this summer or if you lose someone else this summer because you use your MLE mid-level exception to retain House instead, it's worth it. I know you can what if, if you're Gerald Morey saying, well, if we had waited a few weeks longer, could we have leveraged him into a two-year deal? This team, to see it win nine in a row and do what they have done over the past few weeks, there's no way that you can't gamble on the here and now if you are watching James Harden and Chris Paul do what they do on a nightly basis. I applaud Gerald Morey for this move, and I also applaud the timing of it because, really, even though they could have waited until March 24th, that was the latest, that's when his contract would expire uh, or not expire, it's when he would run out of G League days, so under the two-way he could have been brought back, and then they could have converted in the last day of the season. The downside to that is that by waiting until the 24th, there's barely over two weeks left in the regular season to get integrated. At this point, there's nearly a month left before the playoffs to integrate House, so if you're going to bring him back, you do it the right way, and this gives the Rockets a full month to figure out what his ideal role is now that everyone is healthy. Again, as far as tomorrow goes, the near term, I don't know that it changes that much. We'll talk in a few minutes in segments two and segment three of our Tuesday evening show about the Warriors game specifically. But long term, and potentially when it comes to matching up with the Warriors in May, 
And yeah, Daniel House, again, was out there in that early January win in Oakland against the Warriors. Yes, he can be a big deal. So yes, the Rockets have bigger fish to fry in terms of the next 24 hours because what happens in that Warriors game is massive on a number of levels. But over the long haul, truly getting to where they want to go and winning a ring in June, I know the Warriors are the immediate priority, but as far as the grand scheme goes, this was a big day for the Rockets, and I think you should celebrate what Gerald Morey, Tillman Fertitta, Tad Brown, your front office did in making this decision. I'm sure it wasn't easy because technically they lost the negotiations. House and his agent, Raymond Brothers, are getting what they asked for. At the end of the day, though, what I think everyone shares, the one goal that's common, is to have the Houston Rockets win an NBA title. And by virtue of bringing Daniel House Jr. back and doing it more than a month before the postseason, I don't see how you can argue that this is not a positive thing towards that long-term goal. Jumping back into the program, Tuesday night's episode, we spent segment one discussing the Rockets' move to convert Daniel House Jr. to a standard NBA contract, which makes him NBA eligible again. Yes, he will be playoff eligible. That March 1st deadline only applies to buyouts being secured from other teams. Daniel House is not moving teams. He has always been with the Rockets, just whether he's their player or at the Rio Grande Valley in the G League level. So, yes, he'll be a part of their playoff rotation. Technically, the Rockets lost the negotiation, but if House plays the way he's fully capable of, then I think everyone can win by the success it brings the Rockets down the line. I should also mention my good buddy Kelly Eco, Rockets beat writer for The Athletic, was the first guy to break the news on Twitter this afternoon. So kudos to Kelly for getting a whale of a scoop as far as the Rockets are concerned. Our final couple of segments on this Tuesday evening, though, with 24 hours to go until the Rockets-Warriors showdown at 8.30 Wednesday night, nationally televised the fourth and final regular season game between the NBA's biggest rivals, or at least the past couple of years, the one challenger to the Warriors' throne. Yeah, let's talk about this game and particularly what it means as we move forward to the postseason. And the interesting dynamic to it, I'm sure you heard earlier this week, Stephen Curry, after the Warriors lost their Sunday game at home, shockingly, to the Phoenix Suns, say that he looked forward to the opportunity, and Houston called it a statement game. Mike D'Antoni quipped on Monday night after the Rockets beat the Hornets that maybe Curry should have said that before the game, i.e. it has less value now that they lost to the Suns. But either way, I think the tone of what you hear from Steph Curry contrasted with a level-headed, joking response from Mike D'Antoni. Of course, the Rockets are a bit more relaxed. They've won nine in a row, whereas the Warriors have been very up and down, more recently down, somehow losing at home to the Phoenix Suns. So I think Houston's a bit more relaxed, even though the Warriors are the defending champs. I also, however, think it speaks to the overall mood of the two teams and what this game means. Because as I look at it, for both teams, it's significant in the standings. But from an emotional standpoint it's actually more significant to Golden State than it is to Houston. And that's a rare dynamic with the Warriors, in this case, being the two-time defending champion. But I actually think the statement is not to the league if the Warriors win this game. No, the importance of the statement is to the Warriors' locker room and the players themselves. And I'll explain that as we move along over the next few minutes. We'll also close out with some keys to the game, what the Rockets need to do to win, what to watch for. At this point, though, with these two teams having played so many times, now 13 over the past year and a half, regular season and postseason, I don't think anything's going to be radically different. There aren't going to be that many wrinkles. We know how these two teams match up. We know what they're going to try and do. And 
ultimately it's going to come down to who makes shots. So we'll get to that in a few minutes. For now, though, I want to look at what the game means for each team. And from a standings perspective, it's big for both. Because if Houston wins this game, somehow with the Warriors losing a few games of late, including Sunday against the Suns, the Rockets winning nine in a row, somehow this Rockets season that started 11-14, and 14, after all of that, the number one seed is not off the table. Houston at 42-25 and 25 is within three and a half games of Golden State at 45-21, and 21, and the Rockets have already secured the tiebreaker. So three and a half games going in. If you win the game and you're Houston, you're within two and a half. You lose it, then it's four and a half. So from the Warriors' perspective, they know if they win this game, from a standing perspective, four and a half, it would be almost impossible, in my opinion, for the Rockets to get the one seed if they lose this game. Because Houston, even though they would have the tiebreaker, the four and a half would actually be five games in the loss column, and there would only be 14 games left in the case of the Rockets, 15 in the case of the Warriors. So if you're looking at trying to overcome five games in 14 or 15, that's an awful lot to ask, even if the Rockets' schedule is a hair easier, which especially over the next week or so, it definitely is. So if Golden State wins this game, it basically determines almost certainly that if and when the two teams have their rematch in May, be it the Western Conference semis, the finals, whatever it may be, that the Warriors would have home court advantage. And that's a big deal. You can point out that, yes, Golden State did not have home court advantage a year ago, and they won a Game 7. What gets forgotten a lot about that series a year ago was, even though the Rockets lost that Game 7, how impactful that home court advantage was. Because you look at the variables that went against the Rockets in that Game 7. Of course, they started out not having Chris Paul, which was just a killer blow with his hamstring going out in the last minute of Game 5. But then you look at the 0 of 27 historic outlier of a shooting stretch. They couldn't throw it in the ocean. We could talk all night about Scott Foster, the officiating crew, those angles. Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, they got hot in the second half. The Rockets couldn't trust Lupa Amute to even hit a layup, so they played Ryan Anderson, Joe Johnson, dusted those guys off the shelf for Game 7. If you had told me a couple hours before Game 7 that all of those things would happen, I would have guessed, considering the Warriors had four All-Stars to Houston's one without Chris Paul, that Golden State would have won by 20, 25 points, and they would have just been clearly superior based on talent. They probably are the most talented team ever assembled, and now they've added Boogie Cousins. Somehow, despite all those things, it was a single-digit game, and the Rockets were then six with, I believe, three or four minutes left. It was there for the taking, and they got off to a 15-point lead in the first half. A lot of it had to do with the crowd. When you get to a Game 5, and especially a Game 7, it is really tough to win on the road. So that's why if the Rockets can get that one seed, it's a big deal. Yes, the Rockets are capable of winning on the road if the number one is off the table. Chris Paul, James Harden, they're not going to be phased by anything. But it is a lot harder. Just ask last year's Warriors, who had so many advantages, yet because Houston had the home court advantage, it still was almost enough for the Rockets to overcome a lot of it. So from both Houston's perspective, getting back to within two and a half, which they'd still be underdogs as far as chasing the number one seed, but at least plausible you could get to it, versus four and a half, including five in the loss column, it's a big deal. Because while it's not going to determine everything, yes, whether Houston or Golden State has home court advantage, and especially whether you have Game 5 and Game 7 at your gym, then yeah, that's impactful down the road. The other more practical thing from a Houston perspective, 
because clearly, even if you do win tomorrow, while you'd be two and a half back of the one seed, that's plausible. And you do have an easy schedule coming up, Phoenix, Minnesota, Atlanta, Memphis over the next week. At the same time, you're three games back in the loss column with 14-15 to play. Golden State's still a pretty decent favorite, and after the next week or so, their schedule will ease up as well. So either way, the one seed's a long shot. It's just, if it's at all possible, you certainly want to have a route to get there. From a more practical standpoint, what I think tomorrow does, it takes you from being, if you win, a slight favorite for the number three seed, which the Rockets are now up a game in the loss column over both Oklahoma City and Portland, to a pretty strong favorite. It certainly wouldn't catapult you into overwhelming status, but it would mean a lot because combining tomorrow's game with the next week for the Rockets and the fact that Oklahoma City, Portland, they do have a tougher schedule, assuming you win tomorrow, that's 10 games in a row, and then you have the Suns, the Timberwolves, the Hawks, the Grizzlies coming up, you can really pile up wins, all while the Thunder, the Blazers are probably losing. So even if you can't get to number one, just securing a top three, and you'd also remain two and a half games back of Denver, three in the loss column, for the number two spot. So potentially, even if you can't get the one, you could catch Denver as well. The Rockets currently up in the season series as far as the tiebreaker goes between those two teams, and they host Denver later this month in a game that Clint Capella should be able to play, and in games the last three years when the Rockets have had Clint Capella against the Nuggets, I believe they're undefeated. And even if you can't get the top seed, getting a top three seed is a big deal for a couple of reasons. The biggest one, in my opinion, you get to avoid, most likely, Golden State until the Western Conference Finals. If you slip to the 4-5 line, if either Oklahoma City or Portland pass you, or both, the odds are Golden State's going to be the one seed, and then you play them in the semis. There are a couple of reasons why you want to delay playing Golden State. First, I'll address the opposing argument, which I don't put much validity in, as saying, well, you play them earlier, are you more fresh? I don't think that there's any less likelihood of Chris Paul being injured in a round two series as opposed to a round three, because in the playoffs, there's all this extra time off in between games. His hamstring could go at any point. We saw it happen this year in December. So no, I don't believe that Chris Paul is going to be any more injury prone if you push it off until later in the playoffs. That's just random. It's circumstance. Last year, it happened at a bad time. It is what it is. With, ho- with however much time there is between games in the playoffs, I don't think that fatigue is something that's really going to be a big deal, at least from the standpoint of how many games you're playing, just the raw total. As far as why I want to delay Golden State, first off, they might lose. Think back to the 94 Rockets. Does it really matter that you didn't beat the Seattle Sonics, who had the best record in the league, and at the time they'd eliminated the Rockets in the playoffs the year before. They were seen as the consensus favorite entering the postseason. I know some will say, well, does a Rockets title really feel whole if you do it without beating the Warriors? Uh, yes. If you get the ring, it doesn't matter how you do it. So if Golden State has to play a tough Denver, Oklahoma City, Portland, whatever it may be, team in the second round and happens to lose before they play you? Yeah, I would absolutely take that scenario. That would be great. What I think is more likely, though, is that if you have Golden State play a tougher opponent, they probably won't be able to beat them four times out of seven, but they can at least push Golden State. And if you think back to the Steph Curry era, this current squad that's won the Western Conference four straight years, the only series they have lost in the last four years Of course, it was the 2016 Finals. They blew a 3-1 lead against the Cavs, all that kind of stuff. What happened the series before it? 
Oh, yeah, they had to go seven grueling games against, of all people, Kevin Durant and his Oklahoma City Thunder, along with Russell Westbrook. Warriors actually had to overcome a 3-1 deficit of their own in that series. And as the finals moved along, yes, I do think that took a toll on their legs, their effort level. So by virtue of putting the series off, yeah, the Warriors are more talented than you. We have to accept that. Well, maybe, hopefully, then by virtue of them having to play a tough round to opponent, even if they don't knock off the Warriors, at least make them sweat, and maybe they're in a weakened state by the time the Rockets do inevitably play the Warriors. That's the more practical benefit, even if the Rockets can't get to number one. You move up to number two and number three, and you push off playing the Warriors, then you get that benefit as far as seedings down the line. You also are not facing a particularly daunting opponent in round one. Because if you're a 4-5 and you're playing Oklahoma City, Portland, a team like that, there's enough star power. Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Damian Lillard, those types. Well, I think the Rockets would be favored in a seven-game series against either of those teams. It wouldn't be shocking if they beat you. They are really good. If you get to a top three, be it three, two, or one, you're looking at a team that's in the bottom three of the Western Conference playoffs, currently the Clips, the Jazz, the Spurs, and I just don't think there's enough talent on any of those teams to beat you four times out of seven. Not that I think Oklahoma City or Portland would, but they could at least challenge you, and in a perfect storm scenario, even if you're healthy, they could really make you sweat, similar to how you hope that the Warriors have to sweat by playing one of those teams before you play them in the Western Conference Finals. So beyond just the angle of preparing for the Warriors, hopefully in the Western Conference Finals, pushing off that matchup, there's also, you get a top three seed, then you look at the Western Conference, there's a pretty big drop-off, in my opinion, between the top five, Oklahoma City, Portland, at the current four or five, and then the six through eight of the Clippers, the Jazz, and the Spurs. So if you get to a top three, that's another big benefit as well. It makes you a lot more likely to actually get through round one and then get to the latter rounds where you hope some of these other advantages with the Warriors could come into play. The other side of this that I look at as particularly intriguing, and this is transitioning away from just the standings, it's the emotional side. It's why Steph Curry said it's a statement game. For the Rockets, I don't think there's any result tomorrow that is going to drastically change how they feel about the Warriors. They could win by 30, they could lose by 30, anything in between, and it's not going to radically change. If they win the game, they're 9-5 and five against the Warriors the last regular season and postseasons, really a year and a half, but they haven't beaten them four times out of seven in May. That still remains to be done. If they lose the game, they're 8-6. and six. Is that really all that different? I think the Rockets know what they need to do against Golden State. It's doable. It's asking a lot. But they're not phased. They know that they can do it. And even if they lose by a lot, look, we saw the Rockets lose by 40-plus in Game 3 of the Western Conference Finals last year, and then they came back and won Game 4 and Game 5. So at this point, the Rockets have done enough. I don't think they're going to get cocky no matter what happens, because until you beat Goliath four times out of seven in May when it counts, you haven't beaten them. You are the challenger. They are the champion. The Rockets, they're not going to get too high or too low. It's just one game of 82, and they're trying to win it because more than anything, they just want to position themselves in the standings to overcome that poor start, which is a thing we've talked about all season long. For the Warriors, it's unique because if they lose all four this season and then fall to 5-9 and nine in the 14 games that they have played the last two years since the Rockets, really the CP3 and James Harden era, at some point, 
it becomes hard not to imagine it putting a bit of doubt in their heads. Now, it's not to say that Golden State would then see the Rockets in the postseason and say, no, we can't do this, it's over. No, you don't do that when you've won two straight titles. Of course, they still believe they're the best, and no matter what happens tomorrow night, they are still going to believe that they can flip the switch, and in May, they may well do that. They are a beast. They are the most talented team ever assembled. But one of the unique advantages you have when you have been there, done that, the way the Golden State Warriors have, winning the West four straight years and winning three of the last four NBA titles, including the last two, you always believe that even when times are tough, that you can dig down deep and you have an extra gear that other teams just can't reach. You're not going to flip that by winning tomorrow to where it goes away entirely, but if you make them 5-9, and nine, including 0-4 this year, and really, we can even say 3-9 and nine if you want to overlook the two games in the Western Conference Finals without Chris Paul. At some point, even though many of these are in the regular season, Steph Curry's calling a statement game. They cannot use the card or play after the game that always regular season. We didn't care about it. No, if they go out and lose again to Houston tomorrow, at some point, it does become something that gnaws in the back of their mind. It won't make them think that they are doomed. They are far too talented. They are far too experienced to ever think that. But it can at least erode away at the usual mental advantage. Because on top of being more physically talented, one of the advantages when you're that good is that the sport of basketball at the highest level, there's so much of a give and take. You're obviously going to get cold at times. And even if they go through their own, say, O of 27 stretch or some variation of that, well, A team that's that good, that's been there and done it before, they're going to have the belief to say, hey, we keep playing and we're going to be fine. There's just that much belief. I think you can shake that a bit. You can't take it away, but you can shake it. And at that point, on top of all the other advantages we've been talking about, matchups, and we'll get to that in our third and final segment momentarily, beyond just the standings, that's why I think tomorrow night's game is a big deal for Golden State, and it's even bigger than it is for Houston. The Rockets, their outlook, whether they're 8-6 and six the last two years, 4-0 this, uh, 3-1 this year, or whether they're 9-5 and five and 4-0 this year, it's not going to dramatically change. They're going to be optimistic. They're going to believe they can compete in May, but they know they haven't done it yet. And so they're going to remain cautiously optimistic, focused on the here and now, and then just give it their all in May and see what happens. With Golden State, I do think there is a big difference if they go 1-3 and three versus 0-4. Oh if they're 5-9, and nine, which is well below 500, as opposed to 6-8, and eight, which you could flip one result and then be back at 500. At some point, there is a cumulative effect. And if the Rockets, especially in the game the Warriors have proclaimed before as a statement, somehow beat them again, yeah, that's a really big deal. So that's why, to me, it's a bigger game, at least emotionally, for Golden State than it is for Houston. The flip side, you could probably argue, considering the margin of error, it's a bigger game for Houston standings-wise than it is for Golden State, because even if the Warriors lose, well, they're still going to be the favorite for the number one seed. It just makes it not 100%. So it's a big game for both teams. It just depends on what prism you want to look at it through. From a standings perspective, big for both, but I think Houston, being the challenger and three and a half games back, has more that they need to make up. From an emotional standpoint, however, and if you believe in the psychology of sports, what happens in May? Yeah, I think the Warriors actually have more to prove, as bizarre as that sounds, with them being the two-time defending NBA champions. Final thoughts as we close out the program. Apologies for going a little bit long, but boy, when you combine 
the re-signing of Daniel House, you're converting him to a standard contract that makes him NBA eligible, both for the regular season and the playoffs. Talked about that in segment one. And then, of course, all things Rockets-Warriors, which we began discussing in segment two. Yeah, there is a lot to get to on this Tuesday evening. What I'll wrap up with, and we'll make it pretty quick, is a bit of matchup talk. And the reason I'm not going to spend much time on it, I just don't think that anything is going to be radically different. Again, these teams have now played 13 times in the last year and a half, regular season and postseason. They've already played three times this year. We know what these two teams are trying to do against one another. Sure, there are a few new pieces. Boogie Cousins for the Warriors has just played once against the Rockets. Meanwhile, Houston's still integrating Kenneth Reed, Austin Rivers, Amon Schumbert, Daniel Hollis. We'll see which, what the role is for those guys. But I don't think that anything is going to be radically different in terms of the matchup for these two teams and the way Houston approaches it. If you ask Mike and Tony, he says, and he says it because it's the truth, their game plan is the same no matter who they're going up against. Offensively, they want to get the high pick and roll game going. James Harden and Chris Paul with Clint Capella. They want the threat of vertical spacing on the lobs. They want, as far as three-point range, floor spacers to, of course, spread the floor for the drives. And if someone helps, then, of course, the Rockets are going to fire up a lot of threes because that's an efficient shot. So threes, free throws, layups. We know what the Rockets' philosophy is, and it really doesn't change that much against the Warriors. The matchups are different, but the Rockets under Mike D'Antoni, it's a pretty simple offense. There aren't that many truly new wrinkles that they throw in. The same goes for the defensive end. They're going to switch one through four. They're going to drop Clint Capella. It's a bit easier to drop Capella now that the Warriors have Boogie Cousins out there. Really, though, when it comes to the scheme, it was designed with the Warriors in mind. We know what the Rockets like to do as far as switching. If there's no switching, we know their preferred defenders. They like P.J. Tucker on Kevin Durant. Generally speaking, in his two games, Austin Rivers has done a good job on Steph Curry. He's the best Rockets candidate for Curry's quick twitch ability. You can use Eric Gordon in small doses. So I really don't think anything dramatically changes as far as the approach. You just have to hope that you make shots, and they don't. What really changes in terms of playing the Warriors versus anyone else is that your margin of error shrinks. The last couple of games, Chris Paul and James Harden combined, 9 of 36 against Dallas, 10 of 29 against the Hornets. That's probably not going to be good enough. You need your stars to be stars. You still need Eric Gordon. I don't know if he has to be the above 50% three-point version that he's been in March, but at least I'd say mid-30s, 40% plus. You need him to make some impactful threes. That's certainly what he did in the Western Conference Finals. You need Clint Capella to be able to stay on the floor, but he's gotten better at that this year in the Warriors matchup, and certainly it's easier now that they have Boogie Cousins out there. Actually, playing Boogie even enables the Rockets to play Nene at times and be bigger and get closer to parity with rebounding, which has been a big problem for the Rockets all season long. So I really don't think that there's too much different in terms of how the Rockets are going to approach the game, what they're going to try and do. And they're so familiar with the Rock, with the Warriors that they're going to know exactly what they want to attack in this particular matchup. And it's just about whether they can go out there and do it and make enough tough shots in the case of James Harden, Chris Paul, Eric Gordon on the offensive end and defend well enough to force Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant into misses on the other end. And of course, some of it will come down to luck too. You can play perfect defense and Durant Curry, Thompson, they're such good shooters, they're such elite playmakers that they may make the plays or shots anyway. Generally speaking, though, I get that there's always been some wondering, why do the Rockets match up so well with Golden State? They're 3-0 against them, against the rest of the league, they're 39-25, and which at this point is not bad, but certainly it's not as dominant as they are against the Warriors, and I think there's a few reasons for that. As mentioned, the scheme, the switching, that was done with the Warriors in mind. 
some of the individual role players you've brought in. I mentioned, for example, Tucker on Durant, Rivers on Curry. You can see that some of these role players were brought in specifically with the Warriors matchup in mind. Chris Paul, as far as the appropriate star to pair with James Harden, his ability to probe, his intelligence, limiting turnovers, making mid-range shots, makes the Warriors respect yet another area of the floor. So, so much of this roster was put together specifically with the Warriors in mind, so that even if the competition, the talent you're playing against, is better than many other teams, well, your scheme has a relative upgrade because it's so optimized for the opponent. Also, the Rockets this year in particular, last year they won 65, they were just dominant against anybody. This year, I do think with the Rockets having won 65 a year ago, maybe there was a bit of a hangover after coming so close in the Western Conference Finals. There's a bit of a been there, done that, to where they just weren't ready from the outset from the middle of October against the lesser teams in the NBA. There's a lot of veterans on this Rockets team as far as their role players, Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker, Gerald Green, Nene, those types, that they're not going to treat, say, a random Monday night game in November against Atlanta. I know they didn't play Atlanta until last month, but you know the point I'm trying to make in this analogy, the same as they do for Golden State. Whereas for the Warriors, their role players, they are fully locked in from the outset. So that's another reason why the Rockets have generally had success in this matchup. It doesn't guarantee it. They might just make too many shots because they're that damn good, or you might be unnaturally cold. Just look at O of 27 a year ago in Game 7. Anything can happen in a one-game scenario. Generally speaking, though, I think that's part of why the Rockets have fared so well this season. In terms of what's going to drive success in this game, besides the obvious of trying to do what you've done the first three times, battling for parity and rebounding, those types of things, a lot of it's going to come down to style of play. When the Rockets beat the Warriors, it's generally because they are able to make the game ugly. There are some rare exceptions to that. They did win 135 to 134 in January. That was the game that Harden had 40-something, including the insane buzzer beater in overtime. Yes, crazy things can happen like that. Generally speaking, though, the recipe for the Rockets, you look back to Game 4 and Game 5 of the Western Conference Finals a year ago, neither team reached 100 points. They slow it down, they make it chippy, it devolves into a lot of isolation, and the Rockets are just more comfortable that way. If the game is free-flowing, if there's a lot of transition, it's going to benefit the Warriors. It's not that the Rockets can't do that, because Chris Paul and James Harden, yeah, they're good passers, they're good transition players, all that kind of stuff, but if you let both teams get comfortable, get out, everybody gets their shots, the Warriors just have more shooters, more playmakers, they're more talented. To beat the Warriors, you need to take them out of their preferred style. And if you make the game a bit of a slog, if you get down in the mud to where every possession becomes iso ball, you have to wait until the final five, six seconds to make plays one-on-one, Chris Paul, James Harden, they are just more comfortable playing that way than the Warriors are. So it's not that the Rockets can't play transition. It's not that they don't want to be able to get out. And at times, maybe with the second unit, for example, you want to play to strengths that way. As a general rule of thumb, though, especially when it's winning time in the fourth quarter, The Rockets want to make things slower with the pace. They want to make it ugly and basically a game of isolation because they are more comfortable playing that way. The Warriors, you know the way they want to play, transition, ball movement, those types of things. And if they dictate the style, they just have too much talent. It is what it is. So as far as my keys, and you might can tell early on in the game, are the Rockets having success dictating the style of play? Are they making it ugly? If they are, then they've got a pretty good chance. That's why they've won eight of the last 13. But if the Warriors are getting the shots they want and it's a transition game and it's free-flowing, odds are they're going to win just because they have more talent, more shooters, more playmakers than you do. So if you want something to watch early on, is it pretty or is it ugly? 
If you're a Rockets fan, you want it to be ugly. So with that, that's where we'll leave off this Tuesday evening show. Apologies for going a little bit long. But again, between the news of converting Daniel House, bringing him back, and then looking ahead to tomorrow night's Warriors game, well, that's an appropriate spot to break it. Don't want to go on too long because, again, we are 24 hours away from this monumental matchup. And then, of course, on the other side, we will be ready to recap it right here at Lockdown Rockets, your home for daily podcast commentary on all things Houston Rockets basketball. If you want more content in the interim, best place to get it is on Twitter. I'm on there at Ben DuBose, simply my name. Show is on there at Lockdown Rockets. There's also a Lockdown NBA net handle where you can get a curated feed, experts from across the network. Yes, that even includes the Warriors, if you dare, and try to get their perspectives about the Rockets or their teams, anything else going on across the National Basketball Association. Also, if you want more archives, prior content, ask me questions about the team, all sorts of that, got a few avenues for you. Uh, email LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. Questions, suggestions, advertising inquiries, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. Prior content, LockedOnRockets.com. You can find all our old shows that way, or you can subscribe. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Based on the collective strength of our Lockdown Podcast Network, you can find us so many places. So subscribe, leave five-star reviews. That's how you get the benefit of episodes right when they come out, even before I post them to Twitter. And I get the benefit, hopefully with your five-star review, of looking attractive to potential advertisers and keeping the business model rolling as the only daily podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. Also, if you listen to your podcast via a smart speaker or voice assistant provider, just say play podcast Lockdown Rockets. You can find our most recent episode that way as well. So I think that will do it for this Tuesday evening, March 12th. As always, thanks for listening, and please come back soon for more episodes. Our next one, I anticipate recapping Rockets-Warriors. While the Rockets go 4-0 against the Warriors this season somehow and come within two and a half games of the one seed in the West, we'll see. I hope they do. Whatever the result, though, we'll be right here at Lockdown Rockets to break it down as your daily home for podcast commentary on everything Houston Rockets basketball.